Hi, Raphael Bender here, founder of Breathe Education, and you're listening to the Pilates Elephants podcast with me and my co-host, Chloe Bunter. There are many things that are awesome about the Pilates industry. However, many of the practices we take for granted are out of date or just plain pseudoscientific. These are the elephants in the room in Pilates, and we're here to talk about them openly and honestly, and with a fair few F-bombs thrown in. This show is about debunking the myths and giving you science-based tools to become a better, happier, and more fearless teacher. If you've been enjoying the show and you want to give back, give us a five-star rating and write us a glowing review on Apple Podcast app. That'll help other instructors find the show and let us know we're making a difference. How's it going, Chloe? Good, Raph. Hey, I'm loving the new intro. Yeah, punchy. It is, but it's like I don't even have to do that on my roadcaster now. No. And you don't really like me touching those buttons anyway, but <laughs> I love it. It's just like, pow, pow. Yeah. yeah. So hopefully you guys are liking it too. I think it's pretty snazzy. How are you doing today? I'm good. Good. Really good. Really good. Um. Just ate a whole heap of yummy veggies for lunch. Uh, since moving in, because in, in Sydney, you know, you get out of your routine. In Sydney, I had all my had all my things set up. You know, I've got the dentist that I really like. I've got the hairdresser that has finally, you know, is nailing my blonde. I've got the there's either, there's some important things. I had the the veggie box delivery people that I really loved. And you get really used to these things, right? And then you move to a whole different state, and you're like, okay really, you know, where is all my, you know, so it's been fun to try and build all that back up. So last week I thought, oh, I'll try it. You know, I just typed in, you know, veggie boxes, whatever. Anyway, where, and I thought, you know, in Sydney, in Sydney, <laughs> anyone who's listening from Sydney will attest to this. You type in like the single person veggie box and you're probably going to get like two pieces of something. So usually you have to go like the family stuff. So I thought, okay, maybe, maybe I better just go like, so I went the four person family veggie box. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> I got enough. Well, I had enough to feed myself and Shaman. Mm. <laughs> so Shaman became my extended family. He got a whole box full of things too. <laughs> yeah, it's awesome. So that's just simple, simple pleasures of, um, you know, being lucky enough to to have beautiful, fresh veggies delivered to your doorstep. Mm. And I wasn't the sort of person that did that before COVID, actually. I never got – I know you guys, you guys are really good at getting – you quite a while have got your veg and that delivered, yeah, haven't you? a couple of years. Yeah, and I was always like, oh, yeah, that's cool, but just never got around to it. Mm. Now I'm like, wow, this is amazing. Mm. Yeah. Anyway, that's what's making me happy today. That's my positive focus. That's awesome. It's yum, yummy veggies delivered to my door. I mean, that's pretty lucky, right? It's amazing. Think about yeah. all of all of humans throughout all of recorded and unrecorded history like imagine if you said to like our ancestors a hundred thousand years ago, hey, we'll just deliver a box of these like totally <laughs> mutant vegetables that are like ten times the size of wild ones and ten times more sweet, and we're just going to like peel them and wash them and put them in a box for you and deliver them to you. Incredible. <laughs> well, to be fair, mine aren't peeled or washed, but yes, they are absolutely like it's phenomenal. Mm. It's really cool. I'm I'm, I'm very grateful for it. Mm. And it was like under a hundred bucks too. I'm not talking. A lot of money mm. um, and way cheaper than going to the supermarket mm. and way less hassle. So, yeah. Mm. Anywho, that's my tip of the week. Get nice. your veggies delivered if you can. If yeah. you've got the opportunity, do it. And yeah. if, you, if you're hungry, 
reach out to Chloe because she's got some spare veggies. I've got so many veggies. Well, Sharman did cook them up into a couple of meals for me, bless him. <laughs> and I think I'm going to be making a massive soup, you know, when your veggies are kind yeah, of like. Yeah, end of week mm, soup. We're not quite a salad anymore. We're now uh, needing to be boiled down into a soup, but still delicious as a soup. Yeah. How are you, Raf? Oh, man, I'm really good at the moment. Like, we are just going through this really exciting time and um, I'm being, I'm loving, loving, you know, loving the thrill of the ride, surfing the wave. Mm. Yeah. Surfing the wave. So, so many things are, are expanding for us, aren't they? Yeah. And changing in new opportunities and, you know, we say it all the time. I mean, this podcast, I never would have thought you and I would have a podcast if I thought about this. Do you know what I mean? Remember? Yeah. I still I still kind of go that day, that funny day when you're just like, hey, Chloe, I'm just going to hit record on our, what about we just record? <laughs> Our combo chair. I'm like, oh, are you sure about that? And here we are. Here we are with all you amazing listeners uh, who are interactive, you know, who are saying things. You know, I'm getting these fantastic DMs from people who until now had not drunk the Kool-Aid. So it's not – I'm not talking our Breathe EDU students and grads. I'm talking those that have never been exposed to Breathe education and a lot of the time seemingly not up-to-date latest best practice uh, within the realm of of movement, pain, et cetera. Having been exposed to it for the very first time due to coming across the podcast and I'm getting direct messages saying you have – you ha- this has – profoundly influenced how I think about things. This has profoundly influenced how I know, how I now question things. I what don't a, what just a great, accept. And, what a great title yeah. for a review on the Apple Podcast app. <laughs> yeah, if you're listening, <laughs> head on down to the five star. But seriously though, Ruff, that, that doesn't that just like – give you goosebumps every time you get a message like that. I don't, I, that will never get old for me. Like that's why, that is why I do this job. Mm. No. And we put all of our passion energy, we put it all into, into our, our, our work. Don't we, Raph? We really do because it's transcends beyond work. It transcends beyond a job. Um, yeah, so when I get those messages that say, hey, you've actually changed how I think. And and cha- reviews on the podcast app. Raph, stop ruining my special moment. <laughs> oh, my God. Would you just put a review out there and just maybe a little bit about the dynamic between Chloe and Raph? felt <laughs> 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 like you just kept, like, ruining my beautiful moment there. But, like, this is <laughs> – so send the sweet stuff to me and the other stuff to Raph, okay? Because I will get all gooey about the sweet stuff. <laughs> <laughs> I think that's what we've established. Well, I'll get it as well because uh, you, you send it on to me whenever you get it. So. Yeah, so any of the gooey stuff you send to me, I send straight to Raph anyway. Because, <laughs> um, yeah, it's very exciting. Yeah, so anyway, thank it. you. Yeah, thank you. We appreciate you. And um that sort of feedback to me, that actually buoys me on. So you mm. are, you know, you're having a flow-on effect to me um, personally and uh, so I'm extremely grateful to you guys. Mm. Yeah. Me too. Thanks. Yeah. yeah, thank you. So we've got a great topic today. Before we um, dive into that, uh, let's have a little chat about Chloe's DMs. Can mm. I get like some sort of intro to that at some point? Okay. Yeah. Uh, what sort of DMs? Would, let's Let's try it again. We'll ha- Just let's reintroduce that. Off you go. Okay. <laughs> Welcome to Chloe's DM. 
That's that's perfect. I'm down with that. Okay, good. Well, well done, Raf. You know which the clapping one is on your buttons. Yeah, I've got a little. I've got a little bit of sticky tape on it with, oh. with writing on it. Yeah. That's why you're in charge of those and not me. Gotcha. Okay. So close DMs segment of the week. Awesome. Uh, still just FYI, no no dates in there. So that's, yeah, But because I do have a lot of people asking. So just, you know, giving you guys an update on that. No, still, still very single. <laughs> There's been no dates since that episode. Um, but to a more serious note, uh, lovely uh, listener, Reese. Uh, Reese Pilates, he is in the US of A. Um, and Reese is awesome. Reese has uh, gone on quite a journey of changing his mindset in regards to potentially what, you know, was more of his original training, etc. cetera. Uh, he's also um, a professional dancer, so comes from a, a ballet background as well. And he has uh, really loved embracing um, external cueing. Thanks to both Elephants and also shout out to Adam McAtee, who is now on the Breathe Education training team. Shout out, Adam. Shout out, Adam. And shout out to Reese. Good on you, Reese. And shout out to Reese. Yeah, totally. Shout out to both of them. Um, but just wanted to do an official welcome to the team, Adam. So I can hear cheering going up everywhere. Yeah. So, yeah, so thanks to uh, Adam's done some, um, I think, one of, I think, Sorry, Reese has done, I think, Adam's queuing workshop and Reese has also been listening to um, our podcast and, yeah, getting really curious, thinking critically, uh, empowering motor learning and looking at current research. Uh, so it's kind of like we love that, don't we, Raph? Sure do. That's why we're here. Like we freaking love that. So mm. good work. Anyway, so uh, I'm paraphrasing here. Reese um, messaged me to say, "Look, what, you know, what do you think's best to do in this situation?" So um, basically, the situation went like so: a client of his, or a client that comes to, you know, his classes, his group classes at this particular studio, um, came up to him. I think it might have been after class, before class, not quite sure, and basically just said, "Hey, you know, I've got this." I think it was hip pain. Um, this other instructor has given me these these exercises, uh, this little program to do. I think it's helping. What do you think about it? Um, and basically, the the program were some hip uh, some stretches, and I think Reese got the client to show him the stretches, and then Reese basically said to the client, "Yeah, look, if it's feeling good, uh, do it. Um, whether stretching is making a particular difference to." your pain or injury, you know, maybe, maybe not. Um, but, yeah, if it feels good, do it. Uh, unfortunately, this uh, particular uh, client then kind of went on to complain to the studio manager, I think, um, that she felt like Reese kind of shouldn't have – basically, Reese should have just given it a glowing review because it was by another instructor. Um, so yeah, tricky, tricky situation, and that wouldn't feel nice. Mm. And I guess Reese was like, my question is, you know, he feels that you know he feels his role is to educate his clients um, with the latest best practice. And so he was kind of like, well, if your client, the client doesn't want to hear that, what do mm. you do? How mm. do you navigate that? Because am I doing the right thing then if I just kind of turn a blind eye or agree with what they're saying, mm -hmm. is that being, you know, is that being evidence-based and is that best practice? So I actually think that's a really great question. 
Yeah, me too. Mm. Do you do you want to do you want to answer it, or do you want me to answer it, or do you want to both answer it? Well, I guess I mean for me, Reese. Um, I I have been in quite a few of these kind of sort of situations, particularly with trying to educate um, clients, and particularly when I was first exposed to really, you know, getting into the realm of uh, pain science and the latest evidence around, you know, all the things, movement, et cetera, and look what what does really help pain or not, who knows, pain is multifactorial, it's complex always, et cetera, Uh, you know, placebo, nocebo, then I'm like, well, you know, so many of my clients when I was working in Bondi, teaching in Bondi, would be going off to get their cupping or their needling or their um, acupuncture or, yeah, my neck's just gone out, I've got to go see my chiropractor to get it put back in place. And I was like, well, let me tell you, well, that's a load of shit. Here's the thing. It doesn't go down well. No. Doesn't go down well. Doesn't go down well because it like it doesn't go down well. Uh and we, you know, we then bring up things like cognitive dissonance and whatnot. And also when I step back out of it, I'm kind of like, well, if my client believes that acupuncture is going to give them some relief or whatnot, well, we know that it probably is. Mm-hmm. Sure, mm-hmm. it's probably all placebo, and that yeah. seems to be what the studies suggest. And there are a huge amount of studies on acupuncture, guys. I'm not just here poo-pooing over acupuncture or cherry-picking. Uh, for some reason, they keep going back and trying to study it, study it, study it some more, and we keep getting the same results. Um, a, a same with same with dry needling, et cetera, and I know there will be a few of you going, oh, oh, Chloe, and that's cool. Be a bit uncomfortable with it. That's all right. But – Ultimately, I want my client or that client to be, A, have self-efficacy. So she's been given a program. Sure, it's by another instructor. So what? She's been given a program that she feels is helping. And guess what? She's actually doing her exercises. So, in the you know, she's doing them. She's doing the stretches. For me, that's already a bit of a win. Mm. Like, like one of the hardest things with clients and giving them take-home exercises to do is that getting them to actually do it, right? Mm -hmm. So she's doing it. Not only is she doing it, she's saying she's feeling relief from it. Now, is there any specific exercise that's better than another exercise in regards to what's going on for her? For her? Probably not. Yeah, I doubt it. I mean, and that's where I'd hand it to you, Raph, you know, in regard like stretching, strength, whatnot, you know? Well, I don't know what it is. You know what her specific symptoms were, but if it's mm. hip pain, I'm just going to say <laughs> general exercise. <laughs> and, you know, pretty much any, anything's going to be as good as anything else. Advice to keep active, yeah. yeah. So yeah, and and Reese, the great thing is too that, and and please, Reese, we're not like I'm not saying you did anything wrong or anything like that. I'm saying I've done this a lot. It's a learning process. Like I have been in this scenario many a time, right, and learned the hard way from it with clients going, oh. Well, and it breaking it breaking that kind of connection I had with them or that you've got to, yeah so um, what was I going to say yeah so I'm not saying you've done anything wrong um, and the great that's what I wanted to say there's my brain the great thing I wanted to say is she's coming to your reformer classes so that's freaking awesome she's doing some resistance training with you so you know because I'd whether whether strength training is any better than stretching, I don't know. But we all want to get strong, right? It's it's beneficial for clients to be for human beings to be strong. Would you agree with that, Ralph? I reckon I'd agree with that. 
I reckon you'd agree with that. Mm. Whether it's particularly helpful in regards to pain, I'm not sure. We do know that exercise in general is beneficial mm. for those in pain. Mm. And we know that having a sense of autonomy is beneficial for those in pain, mm. right? So, you know, I've had clients before who've got some cool little stretches that they like to do when they have a particular flare-up of something or if something's feeling particularly acute. And I am like, go for it because that's that's they've got they're doing it for themselves, right? Like that's awesome. As opposed to someone else doing it to them. Mm. I, I'm a little bit more vocal on that. <laughs> but I'm being I've been trying to kind of, you know, with my clients that were going off to the get the acupuncture, okay, cool, maybe it gives them some chill time. You know, you go into the room, there's some nice music playing, the lights are off. You know, you get it's it's. I think there's probably benefits in there, and just in regards to a little bit of neuromodulation, right? A little bit mm. of coming, mm. coming the nervous system down, closing your eyes, your you time. It's like mm. getting a massage, mm. super relaxing. Mm. So um, the might, other, I feel like going to get some acupuncture now. Do you? You've sold oh my me. gosh, that wasn't. Um, <laughs> that was not my intent, everyone. <laughs> oh gosh, I feel dirty. Um, but the other thing. <laughs> I dare you, Raph. I dare you to go get some acupuncture and not to say the person this is a load of shit. <laughs> I've got acupuncture before. Before mm. I, I used to get it. Yeah, before, before I knew more. Yeah. Uh, knew more. Yeah. yeah, I found it quite relaxing. Although sometimes it hurts, depending kind of mm. where they stick it. It can actually mm. be like, oh, that genuinely hurts. But anyway, can we move on from acupuncture? Yeah. Yeah. The other thing I would like to say about this, um, Reese, as well is kind of um, zooming in a little bit to what is our purpose and and reflecting on, you know, you saying potentially one of, the, one of our purposes is to educate our clients. Um, there's quite a, you know, probably not, potentially not. Or, or if we, I mean, our job, and it, and it depends how you see your job. I mean, I see my job as uh, getting my clients towards, and embodying fearless movement, um, empowerment in their own bodies, a sense of I can do it, uh, having a great workout, having fun, um, community, um, you know, telling them Joseph Pilates stories from Cage the Lion. <laughs> um, <laughs> who's playing the drinking game today? There you go. Take a shot. Um, <laughs> So I've got to give the listeners what they want, Ralph. Mm, mm. um, and Reese, in regards to that, though, there are the clients that you build a great therapeutic alliance with, a great relationship with. They trust you and then they do want to know more. So absolutely, I have had those clients with persisting back pain in particular who have come to me and said, Chloe, we know you. Like they're following me on social media or this or that. And they're like, we know you're really into this stuff. Could, could you tell me some more? Could I ask you some more? And there's that invitation um, for some education. But to be fair, actually, Reese, to loop back to you, she did come up to you and say, what do you think of this program? So <laughs> that was a direct invitation. She said, mm, what do you mm, think of this? Mm. What do you think of this? So, you know. Yeah, but uh, turns out she actually didn't want to know what he thought of it. She just wanted uh, – she didn't want his opinion. She wanted her opinion coming out of his mouth. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a tricky. I feel like you were kind of like it, it was. It, you were lured into the spider web with that one a little, Reese. Mm, mm, um, mm. And yeah, you know, it's a fine line between educating our clients and 
you know, kind of like, well, if they feel like their acupuncture's helping them or their whatnot is helping, but they're still doing all the other things. They're still, you know, doing resistance. They're coming to class. They're doing resistance training. They're going for walks. They're playing with their kids. They're doing all those things, you know. Then it's like weighing it up. And as I said, um, with my persistent back pain, pain at clients, uh, there's some great resources out there. Of great one, uh, one I particularly love sending them is is Taming the Beast uh, by. Professor Mosley and two of his colleagues, which uh, was put together to really help the layperson, so not the instructor, not the you know healthcare professional, but the layperson understand why things hurt a bit more. And there's a great cartoon, and it's really it's really good. And a lot of my clients have really loved that. So that's called Taming the Beast, yeah. and we can link to it in the show notes. Sure. Yeah. What do you think? That ties that up. Yeah, hopefully. Well, Reese can yeah, let us so know. Thanks, Reese can let us. We think you're awesome, Reese. You did mm. great. Yeah. Sucker punched by that client. Yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, it was a little bit. It's like I don't know. It's Welcome like when your partner says. Web. It's like when your partner says, oh, "Does my ass look fat in the in, in this?" What you know, do you like, say in that? You just have to go straight with no. That, well, there is no correct answer. You know, it's like you you from there you're damned already. You've lost. I you can't just go. Checkmate. You look amazing. <laughs> Checkmate. <laughs> Gonna have to ask tools about this, <laughs> but I don't think it ha- like that's kind of. Jules never asked me that. Friend. My wife, she never, she never asked me that. She doesn't. Well, no. my my best friend and I have probably done a few of those before, mm. and it's a it, candid feedback is required in those. Like, yeah, but that's different. Friend, different for a best yeah, friend. Right, gotcha. Yeah, when you're gotcha. when you're asking a spouse or whatever, it's a loaded question. Right. <laughs> Love it. (laughs) Okay, so thanks, Reese. Appreciate the message. So, I mean, that that, that client might as well come up to Reese and say, oh, does this stretching routine make me look fat? You know? Yeah, true. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah, okay. Now I get it. Yeah. (laughs) That's it. Totally. Totally. Um, All right. And we're all going to navigate those sort of questions throughout, and I think it's just trial and error Mm. as Mm. well, really. Honestly, it's just trial and error. You'll win some, you'll lose some. Yeah. Um, yeah, nature of human beings, huh? Yeah, sometimes you win, sometimes you learn. Yeah. Oh, I like that. Sometimes yeah. you win, sometimes you learn. Yeah. I didn't make it up. heard it somewhere. Nice one. We could chuck mm. that on the wall. Mm. I like that. Mm. That's, mm. that's great, actually. Okay. That's really good. What's this good week's one. topic? This week's topic is osteoporosis. And... <laughs> <laughs> Wow, you just turned into me. It's, that was it, there's, that one's really getting the crowd crowd going. That's awesome. It is getting the crowd going. Osteoporosis, mm. and I think um, if we're pivoting it to the elephant, you know, we often say, "Well, what's the elephant?" Mm. Well, the elephant in the Pilates room in regards to osteoporosis would be that low impact, light weights, gentle exercises would be the most uh, beneficial uh, and in, in, you know, in air quotes, safest yeah. uh, form of exercise for our osteoporotic clients. Yeah. Uh, so we'd like to really sort of delve into osteoporosis today and why that's actually totally inaccurate and, in fact, could do a lot more harm than good. Yeah. Um, and, you know, how can we boost our bone health, et cetera, throughout life? Do we do the TLDR here? T-L-D-R. 
too long, didn't read. It's like if you if you couldn't be bothered listening to the rest of the episode. Oh. Like, what's 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 the cut to the chase version? All right, if you're going to listen to the rest of it, just turn just like turn the volume no, down for fifteen seconds. To the rest of it. No, what everyone's going to listen to the rest one? of it. Yeah, but okay. all right. Well, the the, the question. How did you know that acronym though? How did you learn that? Uh, I see it on the web all the time. When you when you're reading okay. a blog or whatever, it's like you know, okay. here's this twenty thousand word blog. TLDR. Oh. The answer is no. You know? Oh, am I being really uncool not knowing that? No, maybe you couldn't. Okay. You couldn't be uncool if you tried. Oh, thanks, Ralph. That's very sweet. Okay, um, do the TLDR. No, no, no. Long TL. Too long. Did we? TLDR. Well, they want it now. You're gonna have to give it to them now. All right. So the 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 elephant is you know for osteoporosis, which is low bone mineral density. Um, the the elephant is that you know light weights. You know, using the pink one kilo dumbbells, doing bicep curls on a football. Um, or doing some sort of, you know, super gentle ab, ab prep thingy or a whatever in Pilates is going to be helpful uh, and is, in fact, safer. And the TLDR is, that is 100% wrong. Uh, it's actually way riskier to do light weights, uh, not to do heavy weights. You need to do heavy load and high impact if you've got osteoporosis. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. and and we're gonna we're gonna delve into that in this episode. So yeah. you're gonna want to trick those ears up and have a listen. We need so a Ralph, we need a brain oh, exploding yeah. emoji like sound effect. I'm not sure what that is, but yeah. Mm. Well, when uh, this was, I would say this was almost my favorite topic to deliver uh, of the diploma mm. when, when I was delivering the diploma. Apart from this, the, apart from the lesson on caged lion. Oh, yeah, but they didn't have that in the diploma. <laughs> and by the way, take another shot. There's two. But um, <laughs> no, osteoporosis was pretty much the most exciting. I like I like osteoporosis and also working with older adults. I love mm. both of those. Um, yeah, very passionate about it. But osteoporosis is really thrilling. Uh, yeah. So, Raf, I think the first thing kind of do we need to kind of take them back right to take the listeners to so like what is osteoporosis like what you know a bit of bit of the anatomy around bones and whatnot uh okay so um all of your skeletal bones you know your ribs and your thigh bone and your vertebrae and your spine your shin bone upper arm bone whatever um have uh, an outside kind of shell of really tough bone that's called cortical bone and then on the inside they're basically hollow um, and they've filled up with like a lattice work of little strands of bone called trabecular bone and trabecular or trabeculum in latin means a beam so these are like little scaffolding beams that are sort of reinforce the inside of your you know your femur your thigh bone or you know whichever bone um, and leave, you know, spaces in the middle. And the reason that we have that arrangement, so instead of just having like solid bones, uh, two reasons. One is if you had solid bones, they'd be freaking heavy and your leg would weigh like, you know, 30 kilos and you wouldn't, mm-hmm. be, able to, wouldn't be able to move. <laughs> um, and the second... <laughs> you really, would actually just be a statue, wouldn't you? Yeah. 
The second really important reason is that on the inside of your bones, lots of really important metabolic stuff happens. Mm. Um, so you manufacture all of your blood cells on the inside of your bones there, for example. Um, and uh, the average red blood cell only lives 120 days in the body and the red blood cells don't reproduce themselves. They just are manufactured inside your bones. So basically red blood cell lives, you know, four months, something like that. And uh, they take about two months or so to manufacture. So you're basically manufacturing red blood cells, you know, at breakneck pace, you know, your whole life uh, inside your bones. And that's why wow. um, if you have, you know, a bone marrow disease like leukemia, uh, you know, you're, another thing that you manufacture in your bone marrow is white blood cells, so your your immune function. Um, and so in leukemia, the immune function goes right down because it's cancer of the immune, baby immune cells, you know, is what's... Right. You know. uh, in fact, leukocyte, um, a site means a cell, and the leukocyte is a, like a white blood cell. So leukemia is cancer of the white blood cell, baby white blood blood cell. It looks like baby Yoda, you know. <laughs> baby Yoda. Yeah. So anyway, um, okay. you've got these, you know, this structure in your bone. The outside is the cortex or the cortical bone. And cortex just means mm -hmm. the outer layer, right? So you have an, a cortex in your brain, like your prefrontal cortex and your neocortex mm -hmm. and whatever, your motor cortex. And the cortex just means the outside. And you've, you've got a cortex on your kidney as well. So the outside part of the kidney and the, the, um, the, the cortex of your kidney is where corticosteroids are produced. You know, they're steroids from the cortex of your kidney. Right. Um, you know, in other words, adrenaline, cortisol. Um, anyway, we digress. But the cortex just means the outside part. And the cortex of your bone is a hard outer shell. And then on the inside, uh, it's all basically hollow, but with this lattice work of trabecular bone. Um, and so bones, you know, serve a bunch of functions, one of which is, as we talked about, to manufacture white and red blood cells. Another one is to act as levers, you know, so if you want to move your arm or your leg or whatever, you need to, you know, move a bone or more than one bone in order to do that. So muscles pull on bones to help us move around. Uh, and also to, you know, to breathe. We use, you know, our bones as levers to create a partial vacuum inside our chest, etc. Um, and another really important function of bones is they act as uh, to maintain uh, the calcium level in our um, extracellular fluid. So in other words, in our blood, our blood calcium levels. Uh, and, you know, like many other things in your body, you have some kind of homeostatic level of calcium. So we, we, we need some particular quite narrow range of, you know, calcium concentration in our blood, just like your body, you know, only can function if it's between a certain temperature and a certain other temperature, right? If it's between a certain degree of acidity and a certain degree of alkalinity, right? So there's a, quite a narrow mm. band of, you know, of of uh, temperatures, acidity levels, etc. that we can tolerate and, and calcium concentrations in the blood. So in other words, how many teaspoons of calcium we put in a, in a cup of our blood, essentially, um, mm -hmm. is, is a really important one because calcium um, is required for muscle contraction. So, you know, basically when you want to contract a muscle, you send a, a message down your nerve to that muscle. Um, and then what happens is the first thing that happens is the muscle releases calcium ions into the muscle um, within the muscle cell. And that it basically triggers the muscle to contract. So if you don't have enough calcium, well, you can't contract your muscles, right? And if you can't contract your muscles, you might think, oh, that'd be a pain. I'd be stuck in bed. No, you'd be dead because your heart is a muscle. Yeah. Right? <laughs> yeah. Um, and, and, and to breathe in, 
you need to contract muscles like uh-huh. your diaphragm and whatever. So uh-huh. if you can't contract muscles, you are fucked, right? You're dead. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah. And, and, and if you likewise, if you have too much calcium in your blood, well, the muscles go into what's called a tetanic contraction. So basically just a massive system-wide cramp, right? So imagine if your heart cramped, right? You know, like you'd be dead. Right. So, so we really need a very, quite a narrow band of, you know, between not enough and too much calcium in our blood. And we have to have just the right amount, just the Goldilocks amount, you know, not too little, not too much, so that we've got, you know, not too much so the muscles can relax. You know, but then we've got enough that when we need it, we can pump it into that muscle cell and cause it to contract. So, so if there's not enough, calcium in the bloodstream you know if if the level's getting a bit low well your body has sensors for that and what it does is just basically you release a bit of calcium from your Mm -hmm. bones right into the bloodstream Mm -hmm. and you've got little uh, cells in your bone that just basically like pull a bit of calcium off the nearest tree branch and throw it out it's incredible it's so intelligent like our bodies are so intelligent it's amazing like it's it's yeah it spins me out i'm kind of visualizing this going on yeah. At the moment, yeah. you know, and it's like some cool little like outer space type of thing that's going on in my head right now with it. Yeah. Like, yeah. That's the best way to go <laughs> about it is to imagine it in your head. Yeah, it's really cool. Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, so when we don't have quite enough calcium in our blood, if we, you know, for instance, if you haven't eaten much calcium today, right, um, and your blood calcium goes down a bit, or if you've been doing lots of muscle contractions and you haven't eaten enough calcium, your blood, you know, calcium goes down a bit and so that's cool you just release a bit of calcium from your bones and it's all good your blood calcium goes back up and everyone's happy um and likewise if you have an excess of calcium in your blood so if you have a big calcium rich meal for example um uh, you don't want to have too much calcium in your blood so what happens is you've got sensors in your body that detect the calcium levels getting a little bit too high and they trigger these cells within your bone to actually pull some of that calcium out of the blood as it flows past and stick it onto a, you know, stick it on a shelf in the bone and store it in the bone. Um, and so we're constantly doing this, you know, dynamic process of, you know, releasing a bit of calcium from the bone or storing a bit of excess calcium in the bone, you know, and that's just a dynamic process that's part of your normal metabolism, your normal sort of functioning of your body. Um, but the thing is, if over a long period, you, you know, you regularly don't have enough calcium in your blood, well, then what happens is you end up releasing calcium you know from your bones more often than you're you know storing calcium in your bones so over time the bones have less and less calcium in them right Mm -hmm. and bones are basically made of calcium right so when they've got less and less calcium in them like that trabecular bone inside that those that lattice work of beams um becomes uh you know sort of degraded, I guess, and degraded is not quite the right word, you know, some of the beams are kind of burnt for firewood. You know, it's like if if it's a cold winter and you burn the kitchen table for firewood, that's great, but you've got no kitchen table now, right? So if you've got not enough calcium in your blood and you burn your trabeculae for calcium so you can beat your heart, well, that's good, but now you've got no trabeculae, right? And so it's not, you don't have no trabeculae, you've got fewer trabeculae. And what that does is that reduces the strength of the bone because those trabeculae, those beams, they're kind of the reinforcing scaffolding that lend, you know, structure and rigidity to that mm. bone. And so when you have low bone mineral density or another, you know, calcium's a mineral, 
you've got low bone mineral density, it means you've got less calcium in your bones. In other words, less bone in your bones. So mm. when you have low bone mineral density, and if it's, if it's more than 2.6 standard deviations below uh, you know, normal, uh, the average, um, which just means basically you've got you know lower than you know I think it's like ninety three percent of the the population that is classified as osteoporosis and osteo means bone and porous means like that there is kind of holes in it, um, which is kind of literally what happens. Uh, and if you've got more than one standard deviation but less than two point six uh, below average, that's called osteopenia, which is not actually a clinical condition. It's what they call a mm-hmm. preclinical, in other words, non clinical condition you know it's kind of mm. like just basically low bone mineral density so that's osteoporosis mm. and the problem with osteoporosis is if you fall over and your femur has reduced bone mineral density and you land on your hip well you are at much greater risk of fracturing your femur or your pelvis bone or your you know if you land on your arm fracturing your arm or whatever um, or your spine and the problem with that you might think oh big deal get a broken bone get in a cast for six weeks but the problem with that is you know who gets osteoporosis is generally you know most commonly post-menopausal women mm-hmm. um, because mm-hmm. after menopause estrogen levels in the body drop quite considerably and estrogen is mm-hmm. one of the signaling you know chemicals in the body that is you know has a role in in laying down calcium within the bones, right? So mm-hmm. even if you've got lots of calcium in your diet, if you don't have enough estrogen in your blood, it's really hard to actually store that calcium in the bones. Gotcha. So, gotcha. Um, so you know, postmenopausal women tend to lose bone mineral density much faster than everybody else. Um, and for elderly adults, like people over 70, in the, in the three months after a hip fracture, there's an eight times higher risk of death. Um, and that's from a meta-analysis uh, called meta-analysis excess mortality after hip fracture among older women and men um, from 2010 in the Annals of Internal Medicine. And so basically what happens is people have a fracture and they don't die of the fracture, but they go into hospital, they get a golden staph infection, you know, whatever it might be, and then, you know, they die. So so getting a fracture as an elderly person is a really big deal. And um, isn't there yeah. – uh, well, there's, there's studies as well when we're talking about um, older adults, et cetera, and even just – because we will talk about falls as well because um, part of – yeah, anyway, um, obviously we're wanting to mitigate, mitigate falls uh, yeah, in yeah. the elderly because a fall, even if – there's no fracture, even if they don't. If an, if an elderly person has a fall and is hospitalised due to that, isn't there something there? Rough, yeah. There's a percentage. There's, of, I don't know the number off the top of my head, but there is some kind of increased risk of mortality there as well. It's an increased risk of mortality. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So um, mitigating falls is yeah really yeah. really important. Mm. So yeah. Um, yeah, so that's what osteoporosis is, and. Um, mm. So we, you know, and so we said that, you know, what, what stimulates, you know, the bone to kind of release calcium is when you don't have quite enough calcium in your blood and what stimulates the bone to sort of accumulate calcium is when you've got a bit of excess calcium in the blood, especially when you've got enough estrogen as well. Um, But that's not the whole story because when you, uh, you know, the bone actually, it can be stimulated directly to lay down calcium. Um if you apply mechanical force to the bone. And if you apply enough force to the bone, you know, the way you apply forces to bones is you can pull on them with muscles. You know, so if you, you know, contract your muscle, it pulls on the bone and that that exerts a force on the bone. Um, And you can also exert force on bones by like, you know, jumping and, you know, when you land, you know, the, the impact, you know, puts force to your bones. Or if you, you know, if you 
hit a tennis Skipping, ball or running. yeah, hit a boxing yep. bag or whatever, anything where there's any kind of impact to your body, you know, that impact translates to a force, you know, some kind of force that's applied to your bones as well. You know, it's applied to your muscles and whatever as well, but it's applied, you know, there is a force on the bones in that situation. And so in both of those situations, when you apply force to a bone, you know, bones, you know, we think of them as kind of rigid, but in reality, they're not totally rigid. They're more like a tree or even a skyscraper, like a really tall you know, tower in the city, that they do have a tiny bit of flex in them. They they, they are a tiny bit bendable, um, just like a, a really, even a really strong tree will bend a little bit under the you know, under a breeze. Um, it's mm. the same with bones. When you contract your muscles or, you know, jump or whatever, your bones, you know, microscopically bend and and that bending is detected by little what's called mechanoreceptors in the bone so they're basically little nerve endings that uh when the bone bends you know microscopically when you pull on it you know with and by contracting your muscle um the the mechanoreceptor is stretched and and that stretch generates basically a nerve impulse which then uh you know triggers a chemical cascade which which basically triggers your bone to accumulate, you know, to grab calcium out of the bloodstream and, you know, stick it on the bit that was bent, right? So we end up laying down calcium in our bones along the lines of force that are transmitted through the bone. So if you transmit force through, you know, by pulling on it with one muscle, you'll get more calcium in one area of the bone, where if you, if you pull with the opposite yeah. muscle, you get calcium in a different area of the bone because yeah, that's so if the bit you go that bent. For, if you go for a run or you're doing skipping work, then it's going to lay down more calcium um, proximally on you. Uh, distally. Distally, distally, yeah. sorry, distally. So down the lower bit of your leg. Yeah. yeah. So so, um, so when you do uh, resistance training, you know, you, you work the muscles, um, it tends to lay down uh, calcium on the, in the shaft of the bone, you know, in the main kind of meaty part, not literally meaty, but like the, the center part of the bone. Whereas when you do impact work, it tends to increase the density of the bone at the the, the far end, like Chloe said, the, the distal end, you know, the bit where, like if you're jumping up and down, right, it's the bottom end of the bone that's subjected to the greatest amount of yeah. force, right? So that's where the, yeah. that's where the, the, the density is increased the most. Yeah. I'm gonna I'm gonna take a, a stab at it and say we'd be wanting to increase our bone density throughout our body. Yeah. So we would be wanting to do more things than just the one. So yeah. you're yeah. wanting to do a combination of it. And I know before Raph, you've uh, described it as kind of like a we need a micro bend of the bone. Yeah, micro bend. Yeah, micro bend. So things that the, the two main things that will do that from an exercise perspective are. Heavy loads, heavy loads and high impact. Heavy loads, yeah. Yeah. So we need to define. I think. I think it's good now to kind of define those two things because I mean, high impact is not going for a stroll. Absolutely, walking's awesome, great, but that's not high impact. And heavy loads is not your dumbbell. It's probably not all springs on on the reformer footwork. Because, you know, I'm going to say, okay, dependent on the individual and how frail that individual might be, sure. But ultimately, and I think this might blow people's minds, Raph, in regards to heavy loads, tell tell them how heavy it needs to be. Well, um, there have been, you know, a few studies or quite a few studies on um, exercise for people with osteoporosis, and particularly they're generally done on postmenopausal women because they're the most high risk group. 
Um, and, you know, a lot of studies have looked at exercise below 60% of what, of the maximum that people can, can work with or resist or lift. Um, so, you know, just say you can lift, you know, 10 kilos, you know, 60% of that would be six kilos. Um, and so if, you know, lifting 60% or less than what you, your maximum is, uh, doesn't have any meaningful effect on bone density. Um, and you, there's, there are probably three or four studies that I'm aware of now that have good quality randomized controlled trials done in the last three or four years that have found that loads of 85% or more of your one rep max. So in other words, 85% or more of the maximum that you can lift, uh, are heavy enough to trigger bone growth. So, you know, 85% of your one rep max is where you can do about five to six reps, you know, but not more, right? So if you can do like full push-ups and you can only do six, but you can't do seven because you just physically can't do another one, well, yeah. that 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 means that, that, you know, that load is about 85% of your one rep max, right? So that is awesome. going to trigger and bone growth. In your arms. In your arms and possibly right. in your, you know, in your upper torso with the muscles attached to you. Also. Gotcha. Yeah. Wow. And so it's like it's heavy, right? Yeah. We want old people to, we want everyone to be lifting heavy things, yeah. but we also want the elderly to be lifting heavy yeah. things. Yeah. The elderly shouldn't be there with the yellow flex band. No. That's like a hard no. And not the little, not no. the little one kilo hand weights either. Not the one kilo hand weights or the, the yellow flex band. Um, so how do you think we facilitate that kind of load in the Pilates setting? Um, well, I, just before we get into that, I just want okay. to go a little bit into some of the research on this because I think uh -huh. this is like, you know, the, I think the received wisdom, you know, aka the elephant about, you know, osteoporosis in the Pilates world is you've got to use, you know, you, you don't want to like, you know, load the bones too much because they're fragile, right? But here's yeah. the thing, people – like the bones are fragile because they haven't been loaded enough. That's the fucking problem in the first place, right? Right. So, so, right. <laughs> so now bones, when the bones are fragile, it means they have a lower tolerance to load. That's true, right? But how do you build tolerance to load? Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. With load, you load, right? So when you're loading Gradually. people- Yeah, well, with <laughs> yeah. people with osteoporosis, uh, you need, you know, if you want to build their tolerance, you want to increase their bone density, right? Make those bones more robust. How do you do that? You need to stimulate them to get mm -hmm. more robust. And the way you do that is you apply loads of at least 85% of their one rep max. And you apply high impact activities. Um, and so to give you an example of some of the things that we're talking about, if you're sort of sitting there going, holy shit, this is really like, you know, opposite of what I've ever, ever thought or heard or whatever. Um mm. There are a couple of studies that are really, really awesome, and I'll link to them in the show notes. Um, and one of them was called the Lift More Trial, L-I-F-T-M-O-R, and it was from the Griffith University, I think, in 2017 or something like that. And basically what they did was they got uh, a bunch of postmenopausal osteoporotic women. Um, so these are, you know, like this is on the in Queensland in Australia, and these are just like your typical, you know, 70 plus year old women, right? They just like look like, they look like your grandma, you know, these weren't like triathletes or anything. These were just like regular women, you know, with low bone mineral density. 
And um, they did an eight-month program of high-intensity resistance exercise. So they were deadlifting and back squatting and bench pressing 85% of their one rep max, right? These were like your grandma deadlifting 85% of her one rep max. Mm. Um, And they did this under supervision of exercise physiologists. You know, uh, I think they did two sessions a week. I think they did five sets um, from memory. Um, And they also did jumping pull-ups. So they basically would stand with their hands on the pull-up bar in an underhand grip, like sort of a bicep curl type grip. That's right. Yeah. And they would jump up and at the same time pull them up, pull themselves up as high as they could with their arms. And then they would land and they were instructed to land as loudly as possible, like make a big thump when you hit the ground. So because of when you, when you land loudly, that means there's more impact. Um, and they, uh, you know, they did this over eight months. So you spent four weeks in a gradually building the women up to that load, you know, as I train them how to deadlift and how to do the exercise and whatever, and gradually increase the load over four weeks. And then they did the the intervention for seven months or something like that. Um, And there was a single adverse event, which was like in about month six, one woman had a minor muscle strain in her lower back on the last set of deadlifts, um, which meant that she, she had to miss one training session and then she was back and completed the rest of the trial. Um, and so there was, there were no issues with people's bones or joints or anything like that. And at the end, people had not only reduced the rate of decrease of their bone mineral intensity, not only stopped the decrease, they had actually reversed it. They had increased their bone mineral density, which is real, was previously unheard of in postmenopausal women with osteoporosis, that they'd actually increased by like two to 3% in eight months their bone mineral density and their femoral neck and their lumbar spine and a couple of other areas. So it's like truly like heavy loads and high impact um, are actually perfectly safe. And there's a bunch of other trials, which I'll link to in the, in the show notes on, you know, similar in the last couple of years, a couple from 2020 as well, I've got um, that basically looked at high impact and, and high intensity resistance training in elderly people with, you know, normal bone mineral density or low bone mineral density, uh, and found that it's perfectly safe and, uh, effective. Mm, Okay. Fantastic. So there is some, some things we need to be mindful of, um, with, with working with our osteoporotic clients. So it's not just all like, yeah, let's go, let's go do the, Let's go do the 85% of 1RM uh, Jefferson curl. Like, no. my, you know, so there are some things that we need to take into account. Yeah. Um, and the ACSM guidelines uh, for exercise testing and prescription are an awesome resource for that. And um, from that, and, and correct me if there's anything else you'd want to add to this, Raph, but it's basically movements that may be contraindicated, like a put unnecessary, you know, increased risk of spinal fracture, basically, uh-huh. uh, in particularly low bone, like low having a low bone mineral density uh, score, because there are different grades of that, um, as you discussed earlier, would be something like loaded flexion. Um, yeah, so the, the current ACSM guidelines, um, American College of Sports Medicine guidelines for exercise testing and prescription 10th edition. In fact, they've just released the 11th edition, but it's it's pre-press at the moment. We haven't received our copy. Um, uh, they do say, uh, you know, avoid rip end range, you know, bending and twisting. Um, but in, in, and so that, that is a recommendation that, you know, we, we endorse, 
but um, it's actually not based on any real evidence. You know, so no one's actually done a study of like, okay, let's go to all these osteoporotic people and bend and twist them and see if they get fractures, right? That, that study well, hasn't it's been a bit, done. It's a bit yeah. similar. It's a bit similar to the how long are we going to lay uh, a pregnant woman post sixteen weeks flat on her back before it causes harm to yes. her or baby? Yes. There's, you know, there's a point where you're like, who's putting their hand up for those right. trials? Right. Oh, yeah, I'd love to get a spinal fracture or hurt yeah. my baby. Like, yeah. yeah. So, so so it's really just based on kind of expert opinion, which is a pretty low-quality source of evidence. Mm. So, uh, you know, based on my kind of understanding of biomechanics and the results of these high-intensity resistance training trials and looking at some of the grandmas doing those exercises, their backs were bent as all get out. Um, well, we all well we know that if you you know there's been many studies on it, and Greg Layman's uh, very passionate about these studies. You can chuck all the all the uh, electrodes and whatnot on someone's uh, lower back, so lumbar spine, and get them to do. And these are you know high. These are people that do deadlifts. Um, competitively and so you know they're really good at their deadlifts and they've you know got the the form and whatever you want to call it and even when they think they're doing a, a air quotes neutral neutral deadlift they're actually in in a decent amount of lumbar flexion yeah. so yeah. so i think i think you probably can't avoid it and it's probably perfectly safe but the guidelines uh, explicitly say not to do it. So, I, you know, I think it's our duty of care to work within the guidelines. Uh, yes. you, know, you know, the thing about guidelines is they're not really to agree or disagree with, right? They're there to be followed, not, you know, you can't cherry pick and go, oh, we like this part of the guidelines, but not that part of the guidelines. Correct. So, um, you know, I don't like that part of the guidelines, but I still follow it. So... Yeah. Um, so, yeah. so, so the guidelines say, yep, no, no, no end, end range bending or two. So, I would. So, the way I interpret that, the the actual wording is a little bit vague in the guidelines. Um, I've got it right here. Shall yeah, I? Shall I just let's just read it. Let's just read it, and that way we're definitely not mm. cherry picking. Um, so, this is uh, in the ACSM guidelines, tenth edition. As we know, the eleventh is coming out, but it's not quite hot off the press just yet. And this is under the guidelines for osteoporosis special considerations. Um, this is interesting. There are currently no established guidelines regarding contraindications for exercise for individuals with osteoporosis. Uh-huh. Interesting. The general recommendation, so there are currently no established guidelines, right? The general recommendation is to prescribe moderate intensity weight-bearing exercise that does not cause exasperate pain. Uh, exercise that involves ex – oh, I better, I better not do do over that. Cool, this is – I've got us in a bit of a rabbit hole here, Raph. This is the interesting thing in the ACSM guidelines, how on let's, one page let's it says not, not too high into, intensity. Let, let, yeah, let's not go into the rabbit hole, Chloe. I, I reckon, okay, yeah. okay, okay. Spe okay. <laughs> Specific exercises or portions of group-led routines, e.g. yoga, Pilates, that require excessive twisting, bending – or compression of the spine, excessive twisting, bending, or compression of the spine should be carefully assessed and those types of movements avoided, particularly in those with very low spinal bone mineral density values. Mm. So, you know, what is, what is, how do you define excessive twisting, bending, or compression? It's like, what, how are you supposed to operationalize that? You know, <laughs> like, uh, you know, so if it said something like, you know, do not go beyond 50% of full range or do not add load at the end of a bent, or twisted position or, you know, like then you could go, oh yeah, that's a clear rule. We can follow that. Um, and it's easy to see if you're colouring inside or outside the lines, but like do not apply excessive bending or twist. Like what does that mean? 
Mm. Um, mm. Yeah. Uh, and uh, I just want to read the little the exercise prescription part here. In general, weight bearing aerobic exercise, weight bearing aerobic exercise in com- combination with some form of high impact, high velocity, high intensity resistance training is considered the best choice for this population. Mm. So, and weight bearing um, exercise is is uh, exercise where you're bearing your weight. So you know, walking, running, uh, not swimming or cycling, where you're you're not bearing your own weight. So, okay, so looping back to the special considerations in regards to a yeah. Pilates class, I'm pro- I'm I'm not going to say I'm probably not. I'm not going to do short spine with yeah. my osteoporotic client. If I've got a client that comes to me and says, hey, I have osteoporosis, well then, no, I'm not going to do short spine on the reformer with them mm. or I'm not going to do um, – I'm thinking there's oh, there's so many things rolling down, yeah. you know, and, and, and I'm not going to do roll up and mm. I'm not going to do et cetera. There's a lot of other mm. choices I can make for that client mm. where I can just avoid those exercises, yeah. right? So there's a lot of other choices Tree. for your client. And the other thing uh, I think that's important with these with these clients as well is balance and working on balance. And we know that um, as you get older, your balance potentially changes and whatnot. And uh, there's been quite a few, I don't know if you've seen the studies, Raf, and I'll refer soon to the IOF, International Osteoporotic Foundation. They've got some great info on there uh, where they talk about uh, the studies done on Tai Chi. Yeah, Tai Chi is good. Anything anything that, that improves balance. So basically yeah. anything well, where you're practicing balancing what improves is going to help balance. Pilates. Pilates is <laughs> yeah. fan- Well, there's so many, you know, yeah. so don't do your roll up or your short spine with them, but do balance work yeah. with them. There's so many fun ways uh, within Pilates that you can challenge about standing on one foot, yeah. you know, and again, depending where they're at with their journey, where they're at with their frailty, if that means having a hand on something else so that they don't fall, then they have the hand on something mm. else because you're going to be mindful of risk of falling. Yeah. Hey, can yeah. I just uh, loop back for a second to the the mm. the, the the bending and twisting thing? And yeah. uh, I agree with what you've said. I wouldn't do you know short spine uh, um, and or any other kind of roll up or loaded flexion. But I, I guess you know my interpretation of that is you know excessive bending, twisting, or compression. I interpret that as like okay, well, unloaded bending, twisting, and you know whatever is probably okay. So things like like cat stretch, I would say yeah, that's fine. Um, things like uh, sort of like a gentle kind of, you know, seated twist, okay, where you're not kind of applying any load to it. I would say that's fine in my in my opinion. Um, but I wouldn't do anything basically where you're using your muscles to get yourself into the position, you know, like a roll-up or a teaser or something like that where it's, it's like actual work. Um, but mm-hmm. if it's kind of just a more of a gentle, stretchy sort of a scenario, I reckon it's, you know, that doesn't fall in my mind under the definition of like excessive bending or twisting mm. yeah but you know yeah. i think it's it's kind of a vague uh, a prescription vague so pres- everyone, everyone has a, to draw their own line it's a bit vague but yeah, yeah i agree i you know i probably wouldn't do sore yeah with my osteoporotic client because got then you've got and, well you've got yeah. and you've got both you got your bending yeah. and you're twisting in it yeah. and you are kind of working through to that full range yeah. um but i would have thought that We'd still want these clients to have some movement through their thoracic. Yeah, and I'd the, do little pelvic curls and stretching and whatnot, and would. cat stretches and some yeah. nice thoracic extension, and you know, just the mm. normal, normal, gentle, twisty, bendy things that you do. But just if if, if it's a, like if if it's if it's an exercise as opposed to a stretch, I'd say it's probably crossed the line in my mind into something you shouldn't do with somebody with osteoporosis if it involves bending or twisting. You know, so right. you can work the abs, you know, you can work the abs in a plank, in a neutral position, right? Just, yeah, there's a, planks there's, are awesome. There's a gazillion ways you can work the abs. 
without bending, right? So it's not to say yeah. don't work the abs. It's just like don't no, work the no, abs. No, no, no. Don't you Very can work cold. the abs? You got front planks, side planks. Yeah. You got you got reverse planks. There's all the planks. Yeah. yeah. And Plenty you can so you, do there. Yeah. So you can bend and you can twist. Long stretch on and a you reformer can, would be awesome. Yeah, but just don't bend or twist and work the abs at the same time, right? Just do those things yeah. separately, right? So do your yeah, ab so work in neutral doing, and then do gentle twists. Your, yeah, you're not doing your, your side sit-ups on the short box, no. you know. Yeah. If, so, um, yeah. And then the, the other one is uh, just avoid risk of falling, right? So if somebody's, right. you know, got low bone mineral density, if they fall, they're at high risk of fracture. So it's like, well, yeah. let's not have them fall. <laughs> So, you exactly. know, give them things to hang on to. Don't put them on one foot on a BOSU with their eyes closed, you know, that exactly. kind of thing. Don't leave shit lying around on the studio floor like foam rollers and stuff. Uh-huh. You know, that's a classic. Yeah, be mindful if you do have them stepping up and onto a reformer, yeah. et cetera. Probably give um, a miss to like the front splits with hands free, you know, on a half spring. Absolutely. Yeah. And be mindful of, as you said, props around. Yeah. Uh, I've heard some, yeah. Heard some, heard some stories there about clients falling backwards on props mm, and whatnot. Mm, and so, mm. yeah, it's not great. So that is part of keeping keeping your space. Your workplace health and safety. Work, workplace health and safety, exactly. Um, um, so, so you want to read from the Osteoporosis Foundation? Well, I, yeah, I'd really like – I mean, I really love reading this this page. Um, well, when you can't read, when you can't read Cage's Line, it's the next best thing, isn't it? Hey, woo! <laughs> Everyone's like, oh, my God, we thought we weren't getting another drink in this episode. This is getting really dry. Seriously, you guys, I'll give you one more cage line. <laughs> and I hope I hope that you've all I hope that you've all listened to the interview that Raf did with John Howard Steele. I hope it's there. It's up on the it's up on the it's up in the podcast. So I hope you've mm-hmm. listened. Uh, and if you haven't, please do. Actually, one of our listeners uh, sent me at, at tagged us in a message. She listened to that and then went and ordered a whole heap mm-hmm. of books for her yeah, staff yeah. and her studio. I'm like, what a legend! That's, awesome. That's so great. Oh wow, that felt good to get that out. Yeah, um, so we digress. Better out than in. Better out than in. Yeah. Um, I do want to read about this because I don't just talk about cage lion, guys. I do have a lot of other stuff that interests me uh, and that I'm passionate about. Yeah. Um, I'm I, I'm definitely not. And I am very interested in bone health and osteoporosis. And, you know, look, I'm, I'm female. I'm a female and I'm 43 and I will be heading towards menopause and my estrogen levels will be significantly decreasing. So it is something that should be not to nocebo me out, but I should genuinely be thinking I need to knuckle down and get get my bones, you know, build my bone mineral density yeah. now, like lay it down now. Well, I did this morning, but oh, you know, <laughs> so I'm probably doing all right. I could, I could lift more heavy things because yeah. also, you know, I'm very aware that I go for a run, but that's only strengthening one part yeah. of my bone. I want to strengthen mm. all the things, mm. right? Yeah. So I and I and I know that, so I know I need to do it. Need to get anyway. your heavier, heavier kettlebell. I did. Oh, I'm still learning that they're swinging the 16s pretty heavy for me, right? Okay, and you've got a 20 as I'm, well, don't you? I've got a 20 okay. as well. The 20, the 20, I'm really enjoying um, for squats. And um, quite nice for a Jefferson curl. Mm. Well, let me know when you need a 24. Well, thanks, Raph. <laughs> Raph got me kettlebells for, for Christmas, my birthday. Was, yeah, I, don't I know, can't was, remember. One or the other. It was great. Pre- well, they, they, my, my birthday's Christmas Eve. Ah. So, you know, you can like just smoosh them together. Works mm. really well with a Christmas Eve baby. Mm. Um, but, yeah, they're beautiful. I love them. Love kettlebells. We really digress here, though. We, well, we kind of do. We kind of don't. 
But guys, what I'm trying to get out of my mouth is that um, I've quite enjoyed the information that is on the IOF, that's the International Osteoporosis Foundation. Um, they've got a lot of cool education on there. They talk about a lot of different studies um, and they've got a lot of um, – They've got, you know, they talk about exercises you can do. They give you some, you know, um, you know, exercise depending on age. Uh, and this, I remember re when I talked to my students about this in the diploma, this really resonated with them too. And I saw a lot of the the parents in the room go, aha, I know what my kid's going to be, you know, all these like, yeah, my kid's going to be into this. So this talks about exercise depending on, on age and actually the importance for growing bone and of laying down bone mineral density during childhood and adolescence. So getting your kids really active from an early age is really important. So it says adequate physical, and I'm just reading verbatim, adequate physical activity together with adequate nutrition, so getting enough calcium, et cetera, helps young people achieve optimal bone growth and development and thus their full genetic potential for peak bone mass. Mm -hmm. Thus, they are, thus, their full genetic potential for peak bone mass, and it links into the study. Um, this is an important first step in osteoporosis porosis, sorry, prevention in later life. Mm -hmm. I think that's that's huge. Don't you think that's huge? Yeah. Like, and I, and I feel very, when I read something like this, I feel very grateful, and this is very ex-gen, I think, being a Gen Xer, we had really active childhoods and adolescence. Like, I remember kind of being kicked out of the door to go play whatever and go play sport and go for a run. I was a huge runner, hugely. I was into aerobics. I was into – so I'm stoked about that, all the jumping. Uh, I was off left unsupervised at the gym from probably the age of 10. <laughs> <laughs> like, you know, there was none – like, seriously, I was there. I, I got a lingual hernia. <laughs> From pushing home really, really heavy on the leg press racks, you would have been proud of me, um, you know. And I remember, I remember when I finally I was really into sit ups too. This is going to say a lot about my personality. And I remember I noticed this. So hernia guys is when a bit of your intestine kind of pushes through, pushes through your muscle wall. Yeah, so it was down kind of you know below my belt line, and a little lump pushed out. And I remember noticing it and just pushing it back in because you can push them back in for a while, right? And I thought, oh, you know. And so I kept doing all my workouts at the gym. I would have been a um, young teenager and I didn't want to tell mum because I didn't want it to be something that stopped me from exercising. Like I just loved exercising. I just genuinely freaking loved it. I was extremely active, more active than I am in adulthood. And uh, I remember she pretty much, when I finally told her, which would have been a few months since I noticed it, pulled me pretty much by the ear into the, <laughs> into the doctors and they're like, you're going to have to have an operation on that. And you're going to have to stop doing any sort of abdominal strengthening work, et cetera, until you've had that operation. And, oh, I just cried and cried and cried. But anyway, that that was like, I'm just saying, oh, I was really physically active and I'm really grateful for that. Now I had the operation, it was fine, went back to doing my sit-ups. But um, yeah, just really laying down those strong bones early. Mm. Um, and it says, uh, I thought this was really interesting. There's there's a lot of studies on, just, let me read. 
Uh, okay, a major US study looked at trials where exercise was used as an intervention to increase bone mass outcomes in youth and found that 84% reported statistically significant difference between exercise and control groups, 84%. Um, ranging from approximately 1% to 6% over six months for total body, fem femoral, neck and spine. Further, the study found that 89% of 19 prospective longitudinal reports indicated that the most active youth had significantly more bone mass when compared to less active peers. Research has shown physically active young girls gain about 40% more bone mass I, I really want to emphasize that, gain about 40% more bone mass than their least active girls of the same age. Other studies have shown that boys who did the most vigorous daily activity had 9% more bone area and 12% more bone strength than less active boys. So isn't that interesting, Ralph? Yeah. The, girl, the gains in the girls was a lot higher than the gains in the boys. Yeah, it's amazing. But maybe, that's maybe that's because the most active girls were a lot more active. Maybe the, I'm just guessing here, but maybe there was a much bigger difference between the most active girls and the right. least active girls in terms of the amount of activity they did. Right. Okay. Just a guess. And I just want to, yeah, it's really interesting. And it links to all the studies. So, you know, if anyone who's interested and wants to actually go delve into these studies, um, it is linked to on the IOF um, page. Uh, so what it says here is high-intensity exercise of short duration appears to result in the greatest bone density increase in the growing skeleton. It is rec recommended children engage in physical activity for at least 40 minutes a day. This exercise should include sports with weight-bearing elements uh, or, or activities such as dancing, skipping, running or walking. Mm. I've got another one here which I'll link to in the show notes, and I'll, we'll link to that Osteoporosis Foundation page in the show notes. Uh, yeah that uh, looked at power lifters and uh, what they found, they did DEXA scans to, to check their bone mineral density and they measured their 1RM strength and a bunch of stuff. And what they found, there's basically a linear relationship between strength and bone density. So basically the stronger you are, the more dense your bones are, right? So if you look at someone and they look strong, they've probably got dense bones. If you look at someone that don't look strong, they probably don't have dense bones. Mm. Mm. So the stronger you mm. look, the stronger you are, the more dense your bones are. Yeah, so yeah that, right. which is great because it means that well the same things that make your muscles strong also make your bones yeah. strong, right? So so if you're doing things to make your muscles really strong, well, bam, works for your bones too. Mm. Yeah, totally. Can I just read a little bit from the yeah. exercise for adults one? Yeah. I'm really this this is like this is like my cage line of osteoporosis. Mm -hmm. Sort of, kind of Hey, how many how many shots are you all up <laughs> to now? What was that? <laughs> And if you don't drink, shots of coffee or shots of tea. Um, here we go. I don't want to encourage any bad behaviour for no, anyone. No. Um, <laughs> go for a run. <laughs> Exercise do, adults. Do a push-up every time Chloe, do a Chloe mentions do a, cage lion. Do a push-up every time Chloe mentions cage lion. I love that. Um, here we go. Exercise for adults. No brainer here. It says important for adults to engage in regular exercise to prevent bone loss and maintain muscle strength. Does everyone get that now? Yeah, you got to exercise, right? Um, it says in postmenopausal women and in men, mixed loading exercises seem to be effective in reducing bone loss. Studies have shown people – so, and, and it links into that. I'm going to assume what that means is you need to be doing weight-bearing weight -bearing and, and you also need to be doing like, impact. Yeah. yeah, and it links into four different studies there. Uh, guys, for you to go into the studies if you'd like to. Um, this one's interesting, Ralph. It says studies have shown people with a sedentary – well, 
sedentary lifestyle, I don't think this is that interesting, but studies have shown people with a sedentary lifestyle are more likely to have a hip fracture than those who, who are more active. This is the interesting bit. For example, women, and I'm assuming they're using women because I'm guessing they're doing a lot of studies on women because they've got a much oh, higher... Much higher um, risk of osteoporosis. Much, much higher risk of osteoporosis. So it's not, it's not sexist. It's literally that is what it is, unfortunately. Um, for example, women who sit for more than nine hours a day are 50% more likely to have a hip fracture than those who sit for less than six hours a day. Hmm. It has also been suggested that exercising prior to the age of 40 is associated with a lower risk of falling in seniors. Mm. Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Isn't that interesting? So I'm glad. It's almost almost like everybody should start exercising. Yeah, I'm stoked I put some in the bank Mm. before I got to 40. (laughs) I laid down down those bones. Mm. But also, this is a great, you know, this is very, um, for anyone who is in my, and I know, it's probably quite a few of you that are listening that are in a similar age bracket to me. Um, we need to step it up. Literally. Do, do you some might step have ups. already stepped it up, but do I need step to ups. step it up. I know I need to step it up. Yeah. Yeah, I think uh, – and I love that that we can be proactive about something like this. Yeah. And when you're doing you know? the step-ups, yeah. hold something heavy in your hand while you're doing it. Yeah. Like a couple yeah, of kettlebells. Yeah, we can be proactive. We can get ourselves stronger and we can set ourselves up, you know, really well for for as we age. But we can also really help those who already have osteoporosis. It's not like, it's not like they're up. a lost cause. Step Slow ups. them up. Yeah. Just Slow watch out for the don't, balance. Don't be like, oh, too bad, too sad, now you've got the osteoporosis. Mm. Mm. The osteoporosis. No, it's like let's 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 create some let's lay down some new some new bone, right? Mm. Yeah. How cool is that? And then that's going to help them with a myriad of other things as well because not, you know, we know that loading and high impact and, and working out when you're older doesn't just doesn't just help with, you know, new bone. There's all the other myriad of huge health benefits mm. that, that come along with it, which mm. are just, you know, how long's a piece of string kind of thing. Mm. We right? could just do an episode that was just like literally reading out the benefits of exercise. We could. I would, yeah, (laughs) I'd actually quite like that. (laughs) I I find it absolutely thrilling. Yeah. Yeah, What do you think? Do you think we've come to the end of that, Ross? I reckon we have. What are the takeaways for osteoporosis? Like get moving, make some noise when you land. Don't Mm -hmm. use low impact exercise. You actually want impact, like land heavily, you know, walk on concrete, Mm. run on concrete. Uh, And if you're thinking, okay, I'm in the Pilates studio and you're thinking jump boarding and you're thinking the cue... Land soft. No, I can't land hear you. hard. No, land freaking loudly. bring the house down. So when yeah. I learned these stats, guys, when I learned about this, um, my jump boarding classes in my group reformer went from see if you can land without being heard to bring the house mm. down, mm. let them know you're here. And you should have seen this, the, the look of joy on all my clients' faces. Like, what? And then mm. they just went bang, 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 bang. And it was like. Fantastic. <laughs> to get loud. Mm. I mean, you've got, you know, within reason, if there's another class underneath you, don't be a jerk. But, you know, get loud. Mm. Mm. Get loud. And lift heavy stuff. And whether that's your body weight stuff. or springs or bands or weights, who cares, but something that you can do five or fewer reps. And you don't need to do lots of reps per week. Like just a couple of short sessions, you know, is, is enough. Um, and do that do that in all of your body parts. Do it for your arms, do it for your legs, do it for your back, you mm-hmm. know, all of that. Yeah. Mhm. Awesome. Right. Great discussion, and, Ralph. Yeah. Good. Good talk. Thanks, Chloe. You're welcome. Thank you. <laughs>
After two exercise science degrees and over a decade and a half of reading research daily, I've condensed all the current science on rehab into a program called the Clinical Exercise Specialist Rehabilitation. Inside the program, I'll teach you to do three things. One, deeply understand how the body works. Two, confidently and expertly rehab literally any client. And three, get results for your clients. So ultimately, your clients tell their friends and you become known as the go-to expert in your area. This program is completely unlike any education you've done before, even if you've studied with us before, because of the way we've built the learning design. It's an online, flexible, skill-based learning program, which means you keep doing the skills under supervision until you're good at them. It's more of a mentorship model than a traditional course model. So rather than rushing through the content and having sort of one go at everything, you actually just practice live and we give you feedback and guidance and we dialogue and explore concepts together until you're highly skilled and confident. We just keep working the material until you get it. It's not rushed at all. It's not about ticking off the content. It's about engaging, practicing and applying it until you own it. This is a life-changing program, not some weekend certification. I've put my heart and soul into building this, and I can't wait to share it with you and help you discover your genius for anatomy and rehab. Now, because of the highly interactive nature of this program, we're only taking on 12 students worldwide. The program starts on March the 1st, and the first 12 qualified people to apply will be allowed to enroll. So if you're interested in learning more, click the link in the show notes and download the course guide or go to breathe-education.com and click on the clinical certification menu in our link in the top menu. That's breathe-education.com and click on the clinical certification link in the top menu.